You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 25. If a certain group gets together and says, these people make me feel unsafe, not that they are unsafe, but that they make me feel unsafe, then you could take out those people. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Carr. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Local Maximum. I'm your host, Max Sklar. Today, uh, well, today I'm broadcasting from abroad, kind of. I'm in uh, Belfast, Ireland, or actually tonight a little close to Belfast. What, what town am I in again? Do you know? I know I'm in Belfast. I, th- I feel like I'm in another, um, another city. Te- uh, pa- Temple Patrick? Temple Patrick, right. Hit, right, Okay. Yeah, so you might hear a little rustling in the background. Um, I'm on a trip with a group of friends. My cousin Brad, he's uh, packing up to head home tomorrow. I'm looking forward to get home, but uh, it'll be a couple couple days for me. How you doing, Brad? Good. <laughs> I know he always wanted to be on his po- on a podcast. It was his lifelong goal. Now he's achieved it. So <laughs> awesome. Well, if you have any comments uh, as we go on. Uh, just shout them out, and I'll say it into the microphone. They probably can't hear you from back there. but uh, or, or you can grab my microphone. Who knows? Um, we are going to continue the saga today of the social network's uh, attempts to moderate and attempts to restrict or, you know, in some cases, uh, uh, censor. Um, nominally, for the good of the people, hey, you can't get the experience you want sometimes if everyone is in the room But on the other hand, without an open discussion, if you get too restrictive, then you kind of become a niche product or worse, a bland product. You know, bland products, they don't do well. They don't garner the uh, avid fans that you need and they can destroy uh, the network effects that makes these companies like Twitter and Facebook so successful. So I've spoken on this program a few times about the approach these companies are taking and, you know, why their single-minded machine learning approach um, maybe is not the best. Uh, which is, you know, let's learn the bad behavior and cut them off is not alone going to give them what they want. Because when you do machine learning, you need a training set and you need to say, hey, these tweets or these accounts are bad and I want to restrict those. Now, this is all well and good if you want to do something like spam detection or in the case of Twitter, you want to remove uh, what they call the, or maybe what I call the obvious bots. They're just saying I'm going to remove bots, but it sounds to me like there there are certain bots they want to remove and certain bots they don't. Um, you know, not all bots are bad. Not all bots are obviously bad bots to everyone. And hey, I speak from personal experience because I wrote a bot. Uh, it's uh, it's a beloved bot. It's very small. Uh, a Twitter bot that is. Everyone knows about Marsbot, but my Twitter bot is called Swarming Now. It is a news service based on Foursquare Swarm's check-in data, and I call it like the good news antidote to the real news, since typically shows people uh, enjoying themselves, you know, like sporting events, parties, that sort of thing all around the world. And so that's not a bad bot. That's a good pot. That's something that people want to follow. It's like one of the greatest, probably the greatest non-interactive bot on Twitter. It's not really a something you could talk to and it talks back, but uh, but it's... You know, it's like a an automated news service. I thought that's pretty cool. It's called Swarming Now, uh, and Twitter has not given us a hard time about it. So clearly, either we're not on their radar, or they think that, you know, this bot is okay. So I think Twitter HQ probably likes it because we didn't get purged in their recent, you know, war against the bots. So 
I think that the problem comes in when they're trying to, you know, purge these bots from their system. And a bunch of people have told me that they, they lost a bunch of users. Uh, the problems comes in when you have a subjective issue. You know, whoever controls the training data controls the algorithm. You think your AI is smart, but I don't care what algorithm you use. Whoever controls the training data controls the machine. And to make a long story short, I think that having several competing algorithms available, ones that admit and embrace the subjective nature of the problem, would be a more conflict way to resolve the problem. And it would also be more interesting to users because you'd be able to join the filter community that you want. You could be very passionate about that community and therefore uh, Twitter as a whole. So I spoke about this on episode nine on fixing Facebook. So uh, today I'm going to turn to Twitter because I've said, as I've said, they've been in the news a lot recently. And so I, I think it's, uh, it's very timely. And if you just, you know, search on Google News and all that, you get tons and tons of articles about uh, Twitter over the last few days. So let's start with uh, kind of the sweeping coverage that we got from the Washington Post right here, or the papers. Um, we're finding a lot of the stuff in the Washington Post recently, I've noticed. I mean, they printed that loopy communist article, but this one's actually pretty good uh, coverage of what's going on. So the title is, Twitter is sweeping out fake accounts like never before, putting user growth at risk. And actually, wait a minute, that uh, they didn't have that headline <laughs> earlier. Uh, okay, so here, here's the actual headline that I read when I printed this out. Uh, Twitter suspended more than 70 million accounts in May and June, and the pace has continued in July. These are actually very different headlines. I wonder if they wanted the more negative one about, quote, putting user growth at risk. I think they have a quote, somebody saying that. It also makes it a more urgent story. So it's not necessarily true, by the way. They might not you know, I don't know if they lost users. They actually might gain users out of this if people enjoy using it more if they're not, you know, being bugged by these bots all day. So putting user growth at risk is an interesting line. I wonder if it's because I'm here in uh, Belfast and they change it. I don't know if the, the UK, you know, has even more cynicism than the US or something like that. Maybe they A-B-T-B tested that and when I go to a different country, they'll change the, uh, the headline. Probably not. Probably it's just it's just a time-based thing. They probably just updated it. Anyway, let's read some of this article. Um, starting at the beginning, Twitter has sharply escalated its battle against fake and suspicious accounts, suspending more than one million a day in recent months, a major shift to lessen the flow of disinformation on the platform, according to data obtained by the Washington Post. The rate of account suspensions, which Twitter confirmed to the Post, has more than doubled since October when the company revealed, under congressional pressure, how Russia used fake accounts to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. Twitter suspended more than 70 million accounts in May and June, and the pace has continued in July, according to the data. Twitter's growing campaign against bots and trolls coming despite the risk of the company's user growth is part of the ongoing fallout from Russia's disinformation offensive during the 2016 presidential campaign. Wow, they mentioned that twice. Uh, when a St. Petersburg-based troll factory was able to use some of America's most promising technology platforms uh, to deceive voters on a mass scale to exacerbate social and political 
tensions. The extent of account suspensions, which has not previously been reported, is one of several recent moves by Twitter to limit the influence of people it says are abusing its platform. The changes, which were the subject of internal debate, um, and I'm sure there was, uh, reflect a philosophical shift for Twitter. Its executives long resisted policing misbehavior more aggressively, for a time even referring to themselves as the free speech wing of the free speech party. All right, so far, so good. Um, so it sounds like they're going after Russian trolls, um, or are they going after people who happen to have unpopular positions? It's unclear. Um, it's also, you know, interesting that they say that they're only, you know, anyone who's used Twitter for 10 years, you might be asking, you know, why now? Why all of a sudden, you know, this was a problem five years ago. This was a problem 10 years ago. I remember posting stuff back in 2012 and some annoying person would come on and start like, you know, cursing me out or whatever. Um, so I don't know why all of a sudden they are interested in this, but, you know, as it says right here, they're talking about it as if it's the uh, 2016 presidential campaign that kind of spurred them on. Um, so they're using machine learning to filter out obvious troll factories or obvious bullying behavior. Totally reasonable. Um, are they backing away from their free speech position? It doesn't seem like they totally are. Um, but, okay, Twitter's vice president for trust and safety. Uh, you got to love that. I don't know. A title, Vice President for Trust and Safety. Hey, Brad. Brad, have you ever heard of someone whose title is Vice President for Trust and Safety? No. What do you think? Title created to make it sound like someone's trustworthy and safe. Yeah, uh, okay. So Twitter has one. Her name is Del Harvey, and she said in an interview this week, the company is changing the calculus between promoting public discourse and preserving safety. She added that Twitter only recently was able to dedicate the resources and develop the technical capabilities to target malicious behavior this way. You feel safer now. Okay, great. One of the biggest shifts in how we think about balancing free expression versus the potential for free expression to chill someone else's speech, Harvey said. Free expression doesn't really mean much if people don't feel safe. So I want to talk about, you know, I feel like the phrase don't feel safe is kind of a euphemism for something else because when I feel, okay, the only way I could really not feel safe on Twitter is if, you know, the whole doxing thing, if somebody you know, posts your address and tells a bunch of nasty people to go over there and start bothering you. Uh, yeah, that could make you feel unsafe. But in the day-to-day, -day, like, you know, usage of Twitter, you know, the worst thing that happens is I get like an obnoxious, you know, asshole just kind of uh, uh, tweeting at me. And so I don't, that doesn't necessarily make me feel unsafe. Um, it could make me feel bad. It could make me feel like I don't want to use Twitter anymore, but... You know, I, I, I wonder which, if they're referring to both or just the, the one extreme one. And it's, it's interesting that they won't separate them. They're just kind of using this, you know, very vague language. Um, so, but it does sound like from this quote, at least, that they're totally moving away from free speech. Again, it could be just what this executive is saying. Sometimes different executives tend to contradict each other. Um, but it does sound like 
Um, she's saying they do want to get rid of free, discuss- uh, uh, free discussion. Um, and the free feeling safe standard is, you know, as I said, very subjective. Um, and I think it's going to, it could run the danger of giving certain groups of people the right to censor. So, you know, if a certain group gets together and says, these people make me feel unsafe, not that they are unsafe, but that they make me feel unsafe, then you could take out those people. I mean, that sounds like a, that would be a working strategy under the rules that Twitter is creating. So that's something that could be concerning uh, down the road. Now, who is going to be censored and who is going to be doing the censoring? That's not clear yet. And there's going to be a lot of accusations, rumors, innuendos going back and forth on that, um, as we'll see. Now, let's go on and see more about the election. Twitter was not alone among tech companies in failing to adequately anticipate and combat Russian disinformation, which intelligence agencies concluded was part of the Kremlin's attempt to help elect Republican Donald Trump, damage Democrat Hillary Clinton, and undermine the faith of Americans in their political system. Uh, Okay, so... I have a worry about this narrative. I think that a third of the country was just so so shocked that Donald Trump won the election. I mean, I was surprised. I didn't think it was going to happen. But some people have just gone insane. Like, they set their Bayesian prior for Donald Trump winning at 0%, which sort of makes your head explode. You know, that can't be right. And so their mental narrative of how the world works was kind of thrown up in the air. And they create all these theories in order to fix this cognitive dissonance. And some people are going about it rationally, but many are not. And I have a sinking feeling that a lot of this coverage and this action by the tech companies just comes out of the uh, hatred for Donald Trump. And why is that bad? Because they really should be thinking about their products and the effects it has on the people who use them for the long term. So going after trolls and bad bots is probably a good thing. If this causes them to do a good thing, then I'm all for it. But if they're overly focused on Trump, And they'll say they're not, but you just get this feeling that that's what these people care about. And I don't know if it's, uh, you know, through a filter coming down to the Washington Post or it's actually the people who work at Twitter. But, um, but, you know, I'm I'm not so sure. But if that is what the people at Twitter are mostly cared about, if that's the main reason why they're making these changes, then they're not really focused on the underlying problem which they didn't care about up to this point, which is something that we should you know, also realize. So to summarize, um, hopefully they focus on the obvious trolls and bots. If they're simply looking at effects that they may have had on the election, which are honestly really hard to pin down, um, and then they start filtering and censoring speech, their platform is going to really suck in a few years. And I'm not sure they'll go all the way down that line, but it's a danger. All right. So let's, uh, one more quote I wanted to read from this article. When you have an account tweeting over a thousand times a day, there's no question that it's a bot, said Samuel Woolley, research director of the Digital Intelligence Lab at the Institute for the Future, Palo Alto, California think tank. Twitter has to be doing more to prevent the amplification and suppression of political ideas. So that's interesting. So again, he's saying it's okay to be a bot, because clearly, you know, the, the thousand tweets a day is a bad bot. Some bots have good information, like my bot. And I find this quote really interesting. You know, prevent amplification and suppression of ideas. So how do you prevent suppression? And I, I'm thinking what he means is, I guess if you get rid of the people who bully others with certain ideas, uh, then that's okay. And, you know, I, 
think you probably could get rid of those people if you just sort of, you know, rather than coming up with like a, a good faith exchange, you have a bunch of people who are just, you know, slobbering over everybody, then they're polluting the system. Get rid of them. All, all, all good with that. Now, he also says, so he says he's trying to prevent the suppression of ideas. He also wants to prevent the amplification of ideas. That's an interesting one. How do you prevent amplification? So that, to me, just sounds like straight-up censorship. And this is the line of thinking, again, uh, that's going far in the subjective direction, and that's where I think they're really going to step in it, or they really have the danger to step in it. I, I hope they succeed. I think they have a chance to. All right, so here's the main coverage. I'll definitely link to that article in the show notes page. There are tons of different articles that I read on this, and again, I'm just kind of um, responding off the cuff today, and I want to get your opinions on it because I want to respond, and then when I'm back home in New York, I can, like, you know, research each question and 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 each position really well and give an answer. So if you do have something to say, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Send me a question or comment about this, and you'll be I'll talk about it on the next Local Maximum. So here's another article from CNET, and I'll post all these again. Um, it suggests, on the other hand, that Twitter might be getting it more correct. See, this is the thing about the media. You don't like one story. You can often find another. Oh, it's called Inside Facebook, Google, and Twitter's Battle Over Your Social Lives. It describes AI, essentially machine learning algorithms, to detect bots on the platform. Uh, for example, Facebook can tell if it's human on their website because humans you know, move the mouse all erratically and their hand kind of shakes. So that means that uh, Twitter's abuse curbing AI is different for every person depending on who you're interacting with and who you're choosing to ignore. And the AI is able to tell the difference between positive and negative interactions and essentially help curate the experience of Twitter. Um, reading from the article, what you will, uh, in a quote, um, what you will block is different from what I will block. Um, one spokesman said, you can create models for every user's threshold and tolerance. If you constantly block people, Twitter's algorithm will start filtering out similar content from your feed. The idea is that you're less likely to block what you see. Since Twitter implemented this new method, um, the spokesman said there's been a 40% drops in blocks from new interactions. I've experienced this too. If you have a problem with certain Twitter accounts, it, sometimes it feels like there's an infinite number of accounts and it's like almost impossible to ignore. It turns out you can solve the problem by blocking very few people. Um, Although I don't like to block people because I probably, I don't know if I have anyone blocked um, because I kind of like to, uh, I probably block people before, but I, I sort of have this fear of missing out. I want to see what they're saying. Um, since Twitter, uh, so, okay, that's a huge AI undertaking, uh, undertaking that predicts that someone will block a stranger after a mention. So uh, this suggests the algorithm is at least somewhat subjective, which is a good thing. And there you go. So how they do here remains to be seen. Um, so one article quotes Twitter, uh, Twitter spokesman sounding like they're doing the wrong thing. Another article quotes spokesman sounding like they're doing the right thing. So it's crazy when you're trying to do out here doing your research, uh, trying to figure out <laughs> what's going on. All right, here's another one. Twitter prioritizing health over growth. This is an interesting one. And, and this... Is, again, is another is more positive news from Twitter. Uh, this is from Recode. Um, 
Now the main list of what's going on here is that Twitter is going to focus the bulk of their engineering energies into fixing what's called the health of the system. So that's a very interesting metric. You know, what's the health of the system? I think in a lot of these situations, what we call the health of the system is like, how much downtime do you have? Do you have too much downtime? Does it work all the time? But I think what they're really talking about here in terms of the health of the system is sort of the... Um, the health of the social network. So this is this is essentially all the bots and the spams and the you know I guess the bullying and all that. So again, that's a good thing. Some people might say, oh, they're falling behind without actually building you know other features. But you know, from my experience, if you spend some time to fix a problem and really focus on it just right, then um, then that's a good thing. And it seems to me that they're addressing their user experience head on, and the user experience. Let's face it, is your interactions with other people. It's not like, has nothing to do with how many tabs there are and how big the image is and all that. None of that stuff needs to be, you know, A test, A, B tested that much. Um, yeah, so I, again, I, it's, it's great that they're focusing on it. It sounds like at least some people there have the right plan, but some people there have the wrong plan and some people, <laughs> so we'll see what, uh, what, what comes out of it. It will be something that, uh, that I'll be following um, you know, over the next, well, over the next few months, but this, this will go on for years, um, to be sure. I mean, I guess I think the problem will never be solved, so it'll go on forever, <laughs> but we'll see who wins the day on this one. So let's talk about the a accusation of shadow banning. And again, I'm going to read a, a, a quote from an article, uh, presented with screenshots of, so, um, the accusation is that Twitter is, kind of demoting certain content that they don't like. So outright kind of a censorship sort of a thing. So presented with a screenshot of the searches, a Twitter spokesman told Vice News, we are aware that some accounts are not automatically populating in our search box and shipping a change to address this. Asked why only conservative Republicans appear to be affected and not liberal Democrats, the spokesman wrote, I'd emphasize that our technology is based on account behavior, not the content of tweets. Um, Okay, I'd first ask, like, what's the difference between account behavior and content of tweets? Because content of tweets is probably, you know, the most important feature when it comes to behavior. But maybe not. Maybe it could be how, op how often you load the app. Maybe you have a bunch of different people tweeting for you. I don't know. But that, does that really answer the question? <laughs> that the question was, how come only conservative Republicans appear to be affected and not liberal Democrats? And the spokesman said... Our technology is based on account behavior, not the content of tweets. That doesn't answer the question one bit. It's like one question was asked and a completely different question was answered. Uh, but the rationale in determining which accounts auto-populated in search results and which don't is unclear. Infowars and its leader Alex Jones, oh, I've seen that guy, that guy's insane, uh, have not been demoted despite spreading false news and right-wing conspiracy theories, for example. Republican Steve King, who tweeted that immigration should be limited because we can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies, also appears to be unaffected by the change in the company's search function. This is an evidence of a pattern of anti-conservative bias, since some Republicans will still appear and some don't. This just appears to be a cluster of conservatives who have been affected, said law school uh, professor uh, Ari Eswa-Waldman, who testified at the House Judiciary Committee April hearing on social media. If anything, it appears that Twitter's technology for minimizing accounts instead of banning them just isn't very good. 
Okay, so that last sentence is the only thing so far that has possibly answered the question. That is a possible uh, reason why what's going on is going on. You have a lot of complaints from some Republicans, and it looks like you know they kind of purged the more like moderate guys. The kind of crazy guys uh, are still on there. Uh, you know, Alex Jones. I don't think Alex Jones is a Republican actually, but but he's not affected. It was just it was more like uh, you know some politicians, congressmen, that sort of thing. Um, so. One possibility is that, like this professor says, Twitter's technology for um, shadow banning accounts just kind of sucks. And it just targeted this group of people for no apparent reason. It's, uh, you know, a machine learned algorithm. Somebody, you know, didn't, uh, somebody did some overfitting. Somebody, you know, chose the wrong model. Maybe they didn't update the model for five years. Who knows? All these things could happen. Um, And so it's just not very good. Um, Hey, I think that's actually a pretty reasonable hypothesis. We'll talk about more. Uh, What's more, President Trump got involved. Here's a good old tweet. Twitter, here's from at Real Donald Trump. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Not good. We will look into this discriminatory and illegal practice at once. Many complaints. Um, I'm not there. I don't know exactly what's going on, but let's explore some of the ways to think about it. Let's start by taking the side of coincidence. Okay, so before we talked about bad technology, it could be coincidence, but keep in mind that the vast majority of people working at Twitter are probably like liberal Democrats, uh, Silicon Valley, all that, or or New York City. Um, What if, you know, even with the best intentions, even if no one assumed this was going to happen, what if this problem were to occur on the Democratic side of the aisle? I think that it would be less likely to happen because before the new changes were shipped, you know, somebody at Twitter would realize that their favorite politicians are going to be harmed by it. So we've talked about, oh, is this coming from the top? Probably not. Could this be, you know, some employees being like, oh, I really don't like these people. I'm going to, you know, use my power as an employee to demote them. That's possible. But it could just be that... um the Democrats are getting extra QA based on who works at a company. So let me give you an example from Foursquare, how things work. So we worked on ratings. We didn't try to favor one um, restaurant over another in terms of which gets a high rating and which gets a low rating. Um, but there are a few restaurants that we really like. So, you know, DeFaris Pizza is one of them. Veselka in the East Village is another one I like. And whenever we change the ratings, you know, ultimately... I or someone else would would be scrolling through and looking at these places. And if they got sort of screwed by the rating, well, we'd notice it. We'd be like, hmm, that's uh, that's interesting. Or if some place, I mean, it was the, there was the other way around. If we knew a place was bad, we'd be like, hmm, um, that doesn't seem right to us. But it's certainly biased towards what our eyes are focused on. So the things that we aren't into, the restaurants that we weren't looking at, um, you know, maybe issues with ratings would have had to be brought to our attention rather than, you know, us just kind of noticing that the ratings don't work for this type of restaurant. So same thing could be happening with the politicians on Twitter. Uh, Finally, remember that some of these groups have an incentive to say that Twitter is acting against them. So this is the whole, it's not even a coincidence thing. It's just maybe it's not even happening because, you know, politicians can fundraise off this. They get more attention off this, even if it's just not true. And so I'm certainly open to the idea that a lot of these accusations, even if coming from the president, might be untrue, possibly imagined. I'm certainly, that's not my 
most likely uh, hypothesis, but it's still one that's in there. It's easy to imagine that you're kind of getting the raw deal no matter who you are, and I think that's, that's sort of a human trait. So let's think about an important question. What's the Twitter I want, or you know, what's the world I want? Because I, simplify, I, I sympathize with the idea of free speech. I think that when you have an open channel like Twitter and you have users kind of ganging up on other users, it's going to basically get favored towards those small groups that, that do that. Um, you know, that's like the, the tail of minority rule a little bit. But these are kind of small, vocal, very annoying groups. We've all dealt with them. Um, on the other hand, there do exist people who feel bullied or unsafe uh, for even basic things like, you know, people telling them that they're wrong or people disagreeing with them. So you can't have the anti-bullying people be like the the final say, like the fi- like the total uh, word police. So in my experience, uh, they end in basically the same place as the other guys do. So there's a lot of subjectivity. Um, as a, and as I said, again, it's kind of a multi, we kind of need a multidimensional moderation system, sort of multiple subcultures can coexist where, you know, no single group has the final say, you know, sort of like checks and balances. Um, but, um, there's a lot more you can do with technology. Not so easy to do. A lot of the details have to be worked out, which is, you know, something that I'm working through as I, uh, continue this podcast. Uh, but that's what I would be looking to do. And hey, I would enjoy, I, I would like join the subculture if there were certain ones that you can be in that I felt like elevated my idea of good conversation. So that's it for Twitter today. Um, I wanted to touch in on Facebook just for a little bit. We're almost, uh, we're almost out of time. I want to keep this one as short as possible <laughs> because then I could get home and I know I'm stumbling over my words here, but Hey, traveling, it's hard. I'll be home. I'll be back uh, home for a while uh, after that, after, after this trip. So I'll be able to, to do these in, in the comfort of my own home, uh, in, in my home studio, as they say. So in light of Facebook's uh, stock tumble and not being able to grow as fast as they hoped, uh, Mark Andreessen wrote a great piece with all of the Facebook death predictions going back to 2007. So that's crazy. And I've said this a lot. You know, if something has credibly been declared dead three times and yet survives just as strong, it's probably a good investment. And so that's where Facebook was in 2011, or or let's say 2012, when the stock just absolutely crashed when it went public. That would have been the third time that it was declared dead. And so, but then that would have been a great buy. Um, so I don't feel too strongly about the stock because I know that uh, nothing lasts forever. And at this point, it's really difficult to grow once you have that much of the world involved. There's lots of downside there, lots of competitors that can come in. Uh, and the upside just seems to be harder and harder to get for Facebook. Um, and there, so there's some serious, serious problems that Facebook faces Facebook facing problems. So we'll look at that sometime in the future. Want to get your thoughts, localmaxradio at gmail.com. But again, going back to transit is Andreessen on the other side again. And I remember in 2005, 2005, someone saying, you know, hey, Facebook people still use that? You know, kind of like they do with uh, Foursquare all the time, by the way. But uh, remember going back to Andreessen, you know, don't, <laughs> if you just want to predict uh, their downfall right now, people have been trying to do that for many, many years. So. Um, you know, that could be uh, just massively shorting it. could be a very, very risky bet. Okay. Finally, um, 
one thing that I need to cover, I just want to tell you guys, I noticed it. There's Nassim Taleb has reignited the Bayesian debate, and I need to cover it. And I'm sort of not, it's sort of not entirely clear what side he's on because he complains about the Bayesianistas, and yet he also talks about the importance of using Bayesian thinking. Uh, so I, it sounds like, it sounds like from just what I'm looking at, he, he's thinking that certain Bayesian priors on hypotheses will lead you to bad decision-making even when you've gathered data. So um, I'm going to get to the bottom of that. I'm going to discuss that with Aaron maybe in two shows from now. Next show, next week, I've got an interview already done. Very fascinating interview. It's by uh, Chris Messina on conversational converse and uh, uh, conversational commerce and relationship management. Um, and so, you know, that's all about, you know, how we interact with our bots and agents in the future and how our brands will interact with people. Um, so it's sort of at the intersection between business and AI and design. And, you know, he had a lot of, uh, he had some opinions on Marsbot. Um, and so I kind of picked his brain a little bit and th uh, that's going to be a great episode. So, all right, that's, uh, that's about it. I have to talk about today. It's like, it's midnight here in Northern Ireland. I don't know. Um, that means it's probably what, seven o'clock Eastern time in New York. So I'm going to just uh, edit this and get this out here, out there and see what happens. So have a great week, everyone. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClaw. Have a great week. Feel the power. She said, I don't care what you say, you're going to